In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I am the Reverend Canon Leslie Nunez Stephenson, Canon for the Armed Forces and Federal Ministries for the Episcopal Church. My job is to support administratively and pastorally the 125 Episcopal priests who serve as chaplains in the military, VA hospitals, and Federal Bureau of Prisons, or who volunteer as chaplains with the Civil Air Patrol and the Coast Guard Auxiliary. I represent the Episcopal Church to the Department of Defense and verify that the Episcopal chaplains are also representing our faith tradition well. I want to thank chaplain candidate, the Reverend Will Bryant, and your new dean, the very Reverend Sarah Hurlbert, for the invitation to come and preach at All Souls. My sister Libby Houghton and her family worship here also, so this place has become a sweet part of my family. And over the past years, I have come to worship here with them. I'm very proud to be here with you and represent the beautiful and holy ministry of the federal chaplains among our troops and with our veterans in anticipation of Veterans Day this coming Friday, November 11th. Then I looked at the readings for today and we're celebrating All Saints Day. And my first thought was the readings are all about death. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was in some way putting me in a little trap akin to the one that Jesus was in in Luke's gospel reading for today. Death is a hard topic and I'm gonna preach on it. Death, afterlife, okay, let's do this. The whole of Luke's chapter 20 is a series of contentious encounters between Jesus and the various Jewish leaders in and around the temple in Jerusalem. This setting is important because the temple represented the seat of moral and spiritual authority for the Jews. For Jesus to command a hearing and an audience in this space meant something. Jesus had become an annoyance to those who maintained the temple. So the Sadducees wanted to discredit Jesus before the crowds. They cornered Jesus outside the temple, and in this encounter, they wanted him to look foolish with a question about the afterlife, which Jesus had been talking about earlier in his teachings, and the Sadducees did not believe in. So this marriage legalism problem that the Sadducees pose kind of sounds like a ridiculous middle school word math problem. You know, that succession of seven brothers leaves a woman, a widow, time and time again. So whose wife is she when this one she enters heaven? What a juicy problem. I think you might have felt the same pull that I did to get all caught up in the details of that mess of a family. It would make a great HBO drama. Whose wife will she be, indeed? But at its heart, the problem the Sadducees posed is a question about immortality. But what those Sadducees didn't understand, and sometimes we forget, is that Jesus isn't about immortality, he's about resurrection. 
A few years ago, I had the honor to go with the former bishop of the armed forces to visit our counterparts in another faith. It was an opportunity to strengthen our collegial bonds and celebrate friendship in the midst of deep religious difference. This particular religion doesn't have women as religious leaders over men, so I was a bit of a conundrum to them. Conversations were sometimes awkward. They kept asking where my husband was, confused that he wasn't accompanying me on a business trip with my male boss. One of our hosts, a bishop-level leader in their system, gave us a tour of their religion's headquarters and the Welcome Center, which explained their beliefs to outsiders. Our host kept telling me, I'm so excited to show you a special part of the tour. And I really didn't know what to expect. It turned out to be a high-tech diorama with automatons and immersive 360-degree videos of a young family. And as you stepped into the room, you became immersed in their crisis in the moment that the parents nearly lose one of their children during a hike because the child is about to fall off a cliff. And then you move into the next room where you find yourself in their kitchen. And the couple is talking about their faith and how they're so happy that they will always be together as a family. The sweet wife is cheerfully washing dishes as she says to her handsome young husband who is sitting or beaming at her from his seat at the table. I'm so happy we have our faith and that I will always be your wife. Our host was so gracious and he desperately wanted me to know that his great hope for himself and for me was that I would never have to say goodbye to my loved ones, especially my husband and our children. What a beautiful thought. But is that what our hope is in? There's a great appeal in immortality. We love ghost stories. We love the idea of multiple universes and movies and science fiction. We love the idea of vampires who don't have to deal with death. But is my hope about being eternally in the kitchen cleaning up after my husband and kids? <laughs> and of course, these kids remain small and cute. They're not, you know, the big smelly ones. <laughs> is my hope really about whose wife I will be when I enter heaven? Jesus responded to the Sadducees that the afterlife isn't about the concerns we have in life of the million whose wife is this type questions. The more important point for humanity is that what Jesus said, indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are the children of God, being children of the resurrection. Jesus wants us to get excited about God and his incredible love for us. The great I am whom Moses encountered as a fire that didn't burn, but was the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. I think Bible commentator David Lowe's gets at the issue when he asks, how does resurrection compare with immortality? 
Though a Greek notion, many Christians today and indeed throughout the centuries have confused immortality with resurrection. But whereas immortality of the soul promises that some spiritual element of a person persists beyond the physical death of the body, resurrection insists that the whole person will in some way be united with God. Jesus invited the Sadducees and the crowd at the temple to consider that in God, we are promised something greater than we can even imagine for ourselves after death that we are alive and united with God, our whole selves. And what I think we need to be clear on is that Jesus does not say that death isn't going to be painful or sad. He suffered excruciating and horrific pain himself as he died on the cross. Nothing was spared. Suffering wasn't spared for the many saints who have lived and died before us. But Jesus was telling this crowd that they can expect something greater than this life. There will be no concern about who is married to who. We can easily wrap our minds around an immortal scene of familiar family life, which sounds happy and joyful and as if we never died. What is hard to comprehend is the grace, the love, the eternal joy in him that God is offering us. It is so big, so radical, it is incomprehensible. I don't know about you, but I find it stunning. Let these words from Job sink in, these very words that we will hear again at Episcopal funerals. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Job captures the wonder and the joy of what is to come, of what God is about when it comes to the issue of resurrection and the afterlife. The whole invitation to this incomprehensible love from God is stunning. Now, if you think about it, all souls is your veritable launching pad into the afterlife. You learn about Jesus' ministry, miracles, radical call to love neighbor, his death and his, re his resurrection here. All the outreach and ministry you do reflects the attitude that God's love is greater than anything we'll find on this earth and it's greater than death. And it's how Thomas Cranmer envisioned the new Anglican way of living and faithful community when he wrote the first book of common prayer in 1549. The parish would be a community that fed on tradition, scripture, and reason together, prayerfully growing love that would change the world. The Jesus movement is all about building faith in the eternal love God has prepared us for us and shown us in Jesus. It boils down to that. You don't fear the powers of this world. You barge right in and declare love. Love will feed the hungry. Love clothes and shelters. Love holds you and your neighbor up when the world seeks to bring you down. 
Love banishes fear and finds common ground when the world would have you clickbait into a bubble of despair. Love finds abundance and answers every need. Love is about reconciliation, healing, seeking justice. With this cathedral's witness of Jesus as your fuel, you reach out in Christ-like love to your community, to Asheville and to your neighbors, building and inviting all into beloved community. That's why parish life is so incredibly important. You learn at All Souls, as did the succession of generations and all those saints before you, that God has something greater prepared for you than this world, even greater than immortality. You are invited into the very living fire of the great I am. Amen.